welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast, where all things football are injected right to your veins. With your hosts, Matt Donnelly, Calvin Shoemake, and Jeff Mueller. Welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. We are on episode, I have no clue anymore, but I believe it's like 47 or something. And tonight, we have Twitter's own Scrubs expert, the QB Whisperer. I don't know if that's an actual thing or if I made that up or misheard that somewhere, but we've got Mark Schofield with us today. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. Um, I don't know how the whole QB Whisperer thing came about. Um, I'll answer to it. Like I told you before the show, call me whatever you want. I'll respond. I'll answer to it. QB guru, Scrubs guy, uh, Woody the Pooh meme guy, whatever you call me, I'll answer to it. Well, if you're anything like me, no matter what you call me, I've probably been called worse in my own home. So, <laughs> yeah, I pretty, mean, look, pretty safe bet. It, it's been a year now, and it's almost been a year of the kids being home from school. So, yeah, at this point, I've been called a lot worse than, you know, QB whisperer. We could certainly say that. How many kids do you got there, Mark? Uh, two. Um, Owen, fourth grade. He's nine. Uh, Simone, who's in first grade. She's seven. Um, and, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a fun little year. Fun little year. Have you noticed that over this course of the year that they've started to plot against you yet? Like, is it starting Matt, to they, kind of go? They were, they were already plotted against me before all of COVID started. Uh, this is just more if, if, than anything else. Kind of accelerated that process a bit. Um uh, where, you know, now the scheming has evolved. I mean, before it would be silly things like, you know, let's throw something at dad when he walks into the room. But now the like hijinks has gotten a bit more evolved, a bit more advanced, uh, where they're, they'll plot in the morning before I come downstairs because they usually wake up before my wife and I do. So they'll plot, have little gags waiting for me when I get downstairs. And so, yeah, they, they've kicked it up a notch for sure. Did I see... You had a cat as well? Two, two cats, Matt. Um, Sonny and Rosie, um, those were quarantine cats. Uh, we adopted them this summer. Um, Sonny is the more shy, reserved one. She's the all-orange one, if you've seen the photos on my Twitter. Uh, Rosie's the bigger, more outgoing, aggressive one. She's kind of the, the ringleader of the two cats. Uh, she's the orange and white one. Um, and similar to our previous cat, Presley, um, these two – are certainly prompt trying to make good on an early death and demise for me. Uh, They're quite adept at diving at my ankles when I go up and down the stairs, usually down the stairs. Um, one of them, Rosie, already got me near the bottom of the stairs. Our previous cat, we used to live in a house with all wood floors, and it was a split level, so you had to go upstairs, downstairs, wherever you wanted to go. And Presley got me once at the top of the stairs, and I literally went – Head over heels, landed on my back on these wood stairs. Um, and you can find that tweet out there on Twitter as well. Um, but, yeah, Rosie and, and Sonny are going to get me at some point. Because, yeah, I thought I saw you post a photo of a cat kind of hiding in the stairs, ready to lurch out at you. I thought maybe the cats, the kids have kind of formed this uh, uh, Look, I'm alliance mad. I mean, now. to be my age, 
I'm so far undefeated in the game that I like to call muscle ache or heart attack. I've got like a 44-0 win-loss record right now. But that first L is coming, um, and it's going to be a big one. And between COVID, uh, the two kids plotted against me, two cats now, um, this draft class, um, the, the the danger signs and the red lights are stacking up, my friend. And I can tell you that first loss is, is coming. It's going to be a big one, um, but I'm trying to stave it off as long as I can. Well, we may be graced today, but Mike, Mike has a cat that likes to make the odd appearance in behind it the screen does. here. So I have That's a fantastic. I have a pure well one one white well, I actually have uh four total cats. And okay. The white one, as you can see in the back there, the bed, uh he loves to come up and um but does the same things, you know. Steps right in the middle, you're walking, you know, normally cats walk by you, but no, you like to stop right in the middle of your your path and yeah trip and do all those kind of things so yeah i definitely understand what you're going through there yeah between that and the like 3 a.m jump to the top of the bookcase and start knocking books off when we're trying to sleep yep. i mean that's that's all that's always fun i mean <laughs> yeah um at you least, the alarm clock right yeah and then yeah the nightstand like clearing the whole thing off at 3 <laughs> 15 in the morning like really i don't need that right now i you know but we love them anyway True, very true. Matt, I had been going so well. Go. I've done like two shows <laughs> in a row without going on the mute button. I've been doing so well. So I got a kid who's getting ready for hockey right now. So I'm like yelling at him to get him out so he's at the porch watching for his ride to come. So we're rolling here. Um, if anyone's been watching the show, Mark, we don't do a whole lot of football talk in this thing. We do a little bit there because it's almost like we're contracted to do so. It's like part of, we're not getting paid or really contracted. But we feel like there's an obligation to talk a little football. And with our with you being the QB guru, Q, QB whisperer, we're going to kick it off. How else? With quarterbacks. And luckily for us, in the National Football League, there's been a lot of quarterback news coming in. So I want you to put your conspiracist theory kind of together here. Um, where do we see – Watson and Wilson and Prescott and where do we see all these guys kind of landing once the dust all settles? Do we see any movement? I mean, I do think Watson gets moved. Um, I think that situation in Houston has come to a head. I, I don't see a scenario where he goes back and plays for them. And I think the longer the time goes on, the more leverage the Texans lose. Now that whole leverage discussion has been fascinating because you have some people saying, look, you know, Houston has all the leverage right now in the world and Watson has none. And you have others saying, look, the more the time goes on, you know, the more leverage the Texans lose. As we get closer to the draft, as we get closer to free agency, um, teams are going to have to make quarterback plans. And so the longer this lingers, the fewer suitors you will have for Deshaun Watson on the open market. And so I think the Texans are going to have to move him. And look, the, the, the potential landing spots, they've all been bandied about the Jets, the Dolphins, the 49ers, whatever. But I do think Watson gets moved. I don't think Wilson gets moved because um, of 39 reasons, 39 million reasons to be precise. Like if they trade him prior to, to June 1st, you know, they have to absorb that $39 million cap it. Um, I don't think they do. I don't think they move him. Um, and the interesting thing about these two players is both of them are 
the players that every other team that needs a quarterback is trying to get the elite talents at the position. And to think that these guys might get moved, it's a bit ludicrous, but I don't, I don't think Wilson moves. I think Watson gets moved as far as other quarterback movement. I mean, you know, a lot of it might really come down to free agency. Maybe a Garoppolo trade happens if the 49ers really are going to move in a different direction there. But I think the most likely name to get moved would be Deshaun Watson. Yeah, it seems that way. It just it just seems like that whole Houston is just blowing, I guess, I mean, space and everything else. They're just blowing it up. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mike, it certainly does seem like they're just – that franchise is going in a really bad direction right now. And there are a lot of people doing such great work down there, you know, sort of covering that team. Um, so many really smart people down there covering the Houston Texans. But with the Watt decision, um, with the Jack Easter Bay situation, which – you know, that seems like it's just a bad situation. And then you have people like Darryl Lofsky out there on ESPN saying, you know, for everything you're hearing in the media, the stuff behind the scenes is actually even worse, if you can imagine that. It just seems like Deshaun Watson has to get out of there. And people like me have been clamoring for a while now to save Deshaun Watson, to free Deshaun Watson, because, you know, as somebody that every Monday morning I sit down and watch every single quarterback, one of the first guys I turn on is Deshaun Watson. He's pure fun to watch each and every week, even if that team loses. And so, you know, to imagine him in an environment, whether it's the Jets, whether it's Miami, whether it's San Francisco, some other environment where they have talent around him and the team, it's a much more conducive environment to win in football games. I think it'd be fantastic for fans, fantastic for the league. And so I certainly hope he's in greener pastures next year. Where's your ideal spot for him? You know, ideally, Matt, in terms of scheme and talent, I would love to see him in San Francisco. Um, I think if if Deshaun Watson and those around him watched last year, watched Aaron Rodgers, watch what an elite quarterback could do in that sort of Shanahan, McVay, LaFleur system, which obviously Deshaun Watson would be able to run in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan. I think you could look at that and say, man, imagine the numbers I could put up in that system. Imagine the numbers I could put up throwing to George Kittle, Brandon Ayu, the talent that they have there, You know, being able to check the ball down to Kyle Juszczyk if I have to, if I'm getting pressured, or in some design throws, so many of which Kyle Shanahan dials up week to week. I, th- I would love him in San Francisco. Now, when you go to the NFC West, where now you're going to have to face J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, Chandler Jones, You know, face those guys twice each season. I don't know, um, but it probably sounds better than playing in Houston next year with a roster that's going to be filled with question marks. And so I'd like to see him in San Francisco. I think the Miami fit is interesting in the sense that the, the Dolphins might literally just be a quarterback away. Um, this was a team that was on the cusp of making the playoffs last year. If they had any semblance of stability at the position, obviously the response between Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick, I mean, you can imagine what Deshaun Watson could do in that kind of environment. You know, maybe he'd like that opportunity. Go to the AFC East. Obviously, the Patriots are going through some things right now. The Jets are going through some things right now. Um, so the Dolphins fit would be interested, but I think purely schematically, I'd love to see him in San Francisco. So we we have seen a couple uh, QB moves already. One, Matt Stafford. Let's just give me some opinions on how you feel about his move to Los Angeles. And two, Carson Wentz. Do you think it's like uh, the psychology behind Carson Wentz moving to Indianapolis? I don't know if we if there's any homerism in this this next conversation or not. <laughs> but do you think that they could rebuild whatever fragile mindset that Carson Wentz may have been in 
being shell-shocked behind that offensive line. Let, let's give Carson Wentz a little bit of credit because that offensive line was so bad last year. Uh, I can't remember what it was. I kept I stopped keeping track after about week 12. I think it was 11 different offensive line combinations they had already seen at that point. Can they rebuild the psyche of Carson Wentz? And can he come back like he was, uh, don't quote me here, on the year 2017? I think he had a pretty good year with the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, you know, Matt, I think you kind of hit it on the head when you said the psyche, rebuilding the psyche of Carson Wentz. Um, you know, when that trade went down, you know, in the aftermath, I dropped a 4,000-word piece over at USA Today about, you know, the, the the rise and fall of Carson Wentz and how Frank Reich would have to rebuild him. And it really comes down to a, to a mental standpoint. And I should, full disclosure, I have a Carson Wentz signed card over my shoulder here. I have a Wentz jersey handed in my closet. Like, I l- really loved studying him coming out of North Dakota State. Um, my first senior bowl experience was to go see Carson once in person. Um, I was a huge fan of his coming out of North Dakota state. I thought that 2017 season, you know, was obviously the best that he's been was a borderline MVP candidate before the knee injury, you know, and and as I walk you through in the article, look, you had a decisive, confident quarterback that was making anticipation throws, anticipation reads, anticipation designs, like, this is the kind of quarterback you hoped you were getting. What happened over the next couple of seasons was injuries, talent drain, and then some of the lingering questions around him. You know, I think it was a shattering of his confidence uh, brought up perhaps by watching his team win a Super Bowl rather than being on the field for it. Um, the team drafted Jalen Hurts. Uh, and say what you want, you know, mental toughness about the quarterback position – what I saw in Wentz, and by the time it sort of the floor fell out from under him this past season, was not just regression, but a full-on collapse. Like he was back to the guy he was in North Dakota State. He was afraid to make throws and challenge windows that he was afraid to challenge when he was a college quarterback. And when you're doing that, when you're afraid to make throws because you're looking over your shoulder, you're worried about losing your job, you're not going to make the throws you need to keep your job. And that's what cost Carson Wentz this past season. I think. Reuniting him with Frank Reich is going to help rebuild him from a confidence standpoint because now you have, A, somebody he's been with before, somebody that was there during that 2017 season that was part of the Peterson flip, Frank Reich triumvirate that sort of got Carson Wentz to where he was. Mm -hmm. Now affirmatively going out and saying, look, this is our guy. Like We're going to go trade for you. Well, you know, if this is a situation where like drafted you and yeah, we'll try to make it work. We're affirmatively going out and getting you Carson Wentz to be our quarterback. So I think that's a huge part of it. I think the fact that, you know, Matt mentioned the offensive line. You look at the fact that this, he's stepping into a playoff team, a playoff roster, a good defense, a good offensive line. Some weapons around him, obviously they have decisions to make on T.Y. Hilton and the receiver position, but he's not going to have to be the kind of hero he needed to be saying, 2019 when he put that team on his back to get them into the playoffs. So I think that will help. And to Stompy's point, I saw the comment there. I think you will see a lot of RPO stuff. I think, you know, what they tried to do last year at the end before they had to bench him was just get his first read open. Uh, Mike Kay, who's done some great reporting on that for NewJersey.com, some other people have done great reporting on it. They really just try to get that first read open for him. I think that sort of RPO-type design will certainly help. I mean, I think there are elements in the talent room, in the running back room, Jonathan Taylor, obviously, um, where those will be effective. And so I think you put those three kind of things together, this could be an environment where you see him 
get back to being a better quarterback. And he doesn't need to be the 2017 guy, the MVP guy. He can just be the 2018-2019 guy that was a very good NFL quarterback, and that will be enough for this team to get back to the playoffs. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I, I really wanted to ask you, um, I'm taking the uh, scouting uh, academy class, and we oh, – nice. We do a lot of your work. So um, I'm constantly reading your work like all the time. Um, but um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about the quarterback position is what in, in today's game, what are you, what do you think the maybe three to five most critical factors for a quarterback to have coming into say the NFL, or would you like to see out of rookies this year? Right. Well, first off, Mike, you're in fantastic hands. I'm, I'm sorry that Dan's making you read my stuff. Uh, I'm going to have to talk to him about that. Um, I think the world of Dan, though, um, you know, there have been many people sort of in the, the football industry, the media industry that have really helped me along the way. Uh, Doug Farrar, who I still work with right now at USA Today, Matt Hatman. Um, and Dan Hatman is certainly on that list. Um, Dan and I go back years now. Um, I took the Scout on Academy um, years ago. I did the quarterback curriculum just to make sure that, look, I'm out there making it seem like I know what I'm talking about. I want to make sure I actually did. Uh, but thankfully, I, you know, Dan made me, you know, look good. Uh, but D Dan's a great guy. I think the world of him. So you're in fantastic hands with him, Michael. Um, in, in terms of the quarterback position, I do think that there are some constants, some sort of pillars of quarterback play, process and speed, which I'm sure you've talked about, um, accuracy, which I think is one of those things that, you know, it matters so much. And there's always, you know, that difference between completion percentage and accuracy or perhaps more specifically ball placement, right? You know, you could have a 75% completion percentage, but you might be an inaccurate passer or you might have poor ball placement because you're forcing receivers to adjust. You know, if you've got an out route and the receiver has to stop and work back to the football, you know, that negates the opportunity for a bigger play. Um, a lot of offenses, say West Coast systems, more spread-based systems, horizontal attack and passing structures that rely on yardage after the catch. Um, if you're not putting the ball where it needs to be in, in essence, when it needs to be there, sort of the timing and the rhythm and the anticipation to it, um, you're going to be a hindrance to your offense. Look at Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago, who's a perfect example of this. Allen Robinson runs a 10-yard curl route working back to eight. If the ball is thrown on time, He's got a three-yard cushion where he can catch and become an athlete after the reception, make a defender miss, maybe drag him a couple of yards. You can't shake him completely, but you pick up a couple of extra yards. That's how that offense is supposed to work, right? Well, if what you've seen from Mitchell Trubisky over the years is the ball comes out a step or two late, so that three yards of separation between Allen Robinson and the nearest defender is now just a half a yard. And so by the time Robinson makes the catch, he can't go anywhere. You know, and, and that's tur constantly turning plays that should be 15-yard gains into just eight-yard gains. Like, that's a problem for an offense, especially if you sh this West Coast ball control passing offense that relies on those, you know, plays down the field working and getting yardage after the catch. So, you know, time and rhythm, anticipation, those two things matter as well. But I do think in terms of what quarterbacks really need right now, I think they need two things, and I actually wrote about this last year, using Herbert, Burrow, Tua as the three sort of examples when all three of them were healthy and playing well. And those two things are mobility and leverage. And in terms of mobility, you don't need to be Tua. You don't need to be Herbert. They're great athletes. You could be more like Burrow, which is athletic enough to create space in the pocket, 
to create outside of this pocket if you need to, to move away from pressure. Again, you don't have to be Kyler Murray. And a, a prime example of that is Matt Jones from this season, right? Mm-hmm. He's not the world's best athlete coming out, um, but you can see on tape, you watch that Georgia game where he was pressured a little bit. You watch, you know, obviously the national championship game against Ohio State, even Notre Dame pressured him some. He's able to create enough space with his feet in the pocket to get off throws. And so you need that mobility to survive. And, you know, it helps young quarterbacks on two levels. On the micro level, it gives you more time to make a decision when maybe your mind, you're not reading things quickly enough because it's your first year and everything's happening so quickly. Um, So it gives you more time on a specific play and it's going to extend your life cycle as a quarterback, the more you can sort of avoid hits. So you need that mobility. And then, then you need the other thing you need is the just leverage. Right. And what I mean by that is this, you know, chuckleheads like me get so excited when, you know, we see a quarterback and it's like, oh, he's making reads, right? He 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 he's seeing the secondary spin from cover two to cover three. And so 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 he's not throwing the post route. He's coming off of that to throw the wheel and then check down. And we get all excited and Matt Wald and I start yelling and giggling and all that fun stuff. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter in this day and age. Like what really matters is okay, can you see where the closest defender is to the guy you want to throw the football to and put it away from him? Right. So can you identify leverage and attack it? And and Herbert is a great example of that. Whatever you want to say about him when he was coming out of Oregon, the offense didn't do him any favors. He didn't attack over the middle. Like maybe he didn't elevate the team. He could see leverage and attack it. Like one of the things I, one of my favorite throws from Justin Herbert was a opposite field, right hash mark to left sideline, 40 yard throw against Cal, I think his junior year. And I did a video on it from Waldman's site where he turned it into a back shoulder throw. He saw that the safety was rotated over, so he turned it into a back shoulder throw and put it on the back shoulder of a guy 40 yards on the opposite sideline. If you could do that, you're going to be okay. Right. You don't need to do the nerdy cover two versus cover three weak rotation. Like, Just see where the closest defender is and throw the ball away from him. If you could do that and if you can move around a bit, you're going to be okay as a rookie. You could fill in the rest of the stuff later. So, you know, long winded answer there, but those are the things that I think matter right now for young quarterbacks coming out of college. Speaking of college, I'm sure you've already looked at some film and kind of broke down the top uh, passers in this draft class. Uh, This is kind of a two-part thing, one leading into the other. Uh, It'll be pretty much the last football part of the show. Where do you have – I think the consensus is Lawrence is kind of one tier up on everyone else. How do you got that next group shaking out? Are you a, a Wilson Fields, Lance Jones, or are you like a, you know, let's go Fields ahead of Wilson? Like, it seems that that's where the most controversy is in that yeah. two, three spot. I mean, in, in this quarterback class, and the fascinating thing about this quarterback class is usually I'm the guy that's out there picking up the shield and the sword for the guy you end up seeing in the Hall of Fame game that goes seven of 19 for 80 yards and an interception and then is selling insurance in a year. But I'm out there before the draft saying, oh, this guy's going to be QB5. I love this day three group. Um, Brett Rippon was my QB4 a couple of years ago. That's a prime example of it. Um, I think this quarterback class really does drop off after Mac Jones, QB5. There's a reason why you might see like a round or two before the next quarterback comes off the board. You get it to day three. There are a lot of dart throws in that group. Kellen Mond, Jamie Newman. Um, So it's really the top five guys. Um, Lawrence won. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm doing my like third and fourth pass on these guys, but I will tell you, you know, fields fields is two for me. Um, a lot of people have Wilson too. I understand it. I get it. Um, athletic moves around arm talent. Um, had a fantastic year this season. 
Um, Jordan Reed over the draft network. Um, you know, he had a great term for it and I'm kind of blanking on exactly how to phrase it, but it was like arm aggression is kind of how he termed it. Like, you know, the willingness to make some throws into tighter windows that other quarterbacks aren't going to take. Uh, he has that, he checks that box. He's almost audacious with the decisions he makes. Um, and that kind of matters. You can't play the position scared. It's similar to the Wentz conversation we just had earlier. Um, but I've got fields too. And what's interesting about the fields discussion is in recent days, you've heard, you know, Tony Pauline from Pro Football Network, um, just great reporter, um, said that, look, NFL teams are worried about fields from a processing standpoint, from a working through read standpoint. And that's a position that I shared a year ago. You know, when you watched him last year, his first year as a starter at Ohio State, you know, Fields would get to the right answer on a question, on a play, but it would take him too long to do it. So he'd make the right read, but it would be a step late or two steps late. Um, you watch his game against Clemson. I mean, there were a number of examples from that game. I did a video on it. The two Clemson games, I think, really tell the story of where Fields is as a quarterback. Because the first one, obviously, from you know his first year as a starter, he's making late throws. Even what could have been a game-winning touchdown at the end of that, because they had a chance to win that game, he's late. The receiver actually who's running a post against the cover two middle of the field open, no safety in the middle of the field. Look, he breaks it off. It breaks to the outside because he's like, if he's not going to throw the post to me now, I'm, I'm wide open. I guess I'll do something else. And by then, Fields decides I'm going to throw the post. He's going this way. This guy's going that way. I said to Hollywood, where'd he go? Hollywood said, where'd who go? It's a Top Gun joke for you. Um, but yeah, that was a problem for him in the first Clemson game. You look at him this year. Now, the names changed on the Clemson roster. Um, wasn't going against Isaiah Simmons and those guys, but he's decisive. He's working through reads. He's, you know, pivot mesh, checks the running back wheel, checks the pivot. No, I'll go to my third read. He's working through reads one, two, three, two, three, four, whatever the case may be. And so he made, he answered those questions for me that it seems that the NFL is sort of asking about him right now. So I've got fields two. Three and four is a toss-up for me. I like Wilson again. Um, but I really like Trey Lance. I really like Trey Lance. And what's fascinating to me about the Trey Lance discussion is, you know, the things he's asked to do at North Dakota State, at the line of scrimmage, responsible for checks, protections, setting things, pro-style offense, under center, fullback, running back in the eye formation, that Kyle Shanahan kind of offense, play action plays with the back turn to the defense. He does a lot of those little things that, are, that do matter. And then when you tack on to that, the athleticism, the arm talent, 28 touchdowns, no interceptions and as a redshirt freshman, um, ran for 1,000 yards on top of that. There's a lot to love about this kid. And so, you know, I may end up with Lance three and Wilson four, um, but that isn't to say that none of these guys should not, you know, all these guys, these top four, they're all top five picks. I mean, they're all elite prospects at the quarterback position. Jones is the interested one because he's that pro-style throwback. Um, but given the things that he does well and given the number of teams that need quarterbacks, like he's still going to be a mid first round pick at worst. I was, I was going to say, when I look at this film, uh, I see you've got Lawrence ahead of everyone else. I see you've got fields and Wilson and Trey Lance at the highest ceilings, but the safest floor might actually be Mac Jones Yeah, right now. Uh, we've seen Trey Lance. He's got 17 career starts, 16-0 and 0 last year. He's got his one start under his belt this year. Very raw, uh, still in the quarterback position. 
Uh, for me, you mentioned Justin Fields. I had a little bit lower until I watched that last Clemson game. The, the progressions didn't quite seem where I would like them. And again, full disclosure, I'm not a scout. But it seemed a little delayed. It wasn't quite where you expected. And then with Wilson, I know Jeff Mueller, our resident PT on our show, he, he's given Wilson kind of a clean bill of health. But that shoulder rotator cuff surgery on that right on that throwing arm and the way he throws and changes the angles and puts that torque on that shoulder leaves me a little bit of a concern. It's a bit of a red flag for me. He might be good. He might get 10 years out of it without any harm, whatever. I just feel that Mac Jones may have that safest floor. And he may end up being, and I get roasted on this because it's Twitter and it's it's fantastic. I say Mac Jones has the potential. Not that he will be, but he could potentially be the best quarterback of this class in the right system here. Yeah, well, I mean, you heard it here, folks. Match is right. Mac Jones, QB1. Said he's a surefire Hall of Famer. That's, that's how this works, right? Yeah, I, I was I was actually joking with somebody else on similar lines earlier today. Um, you say something nice about a player, and suddenly, oh man, Mark thinks he's a Hall of Famer. It's like, no, I just said he threw a nice pass here. Like, calm down, everybody. Um, but I think you're right, Matt. You know, the discussion around Mac Jones is the discussion of ceilings versus floors. Uh, and take Lawrence out of it because I think he has a nice ceiling and a nice floor. Um, mm. But the other three. Fields, Wilson, Lance, it's all about ceiling, right? You're drafting one of those guys, you're betting you can get them close to that. But they might have bad floors. I mean, Lance, Fields, Wilson, they all might have bad floors. Um, Jones doesn't. I mean, you you look at Jones and it's like, if he doesn't pan out, like he'll still be probably a decent NFL starter. Um, he might not get beyond that. And Kirk Cousins plus is probably a very good comp for him, a uh, bit more athletic, a um, bit more aggressive, but not much. And I think a lot of teams right now would take Kirk Cousins um, and because they know they can at least win games with that guy. You might need to put things around him. You might need to put playmakers around him, protect him, get a good playbook. The three Ps, Jordan Reed um, told me that, that you're going to need that for him. Um, we did a show together earlier this week. Um, and, you know, if he slides into the mid-teens, maybe you're going to a team like, say, Washington that has a fantastic defense and they've got some money to spend. Maybe they add some playmakers and Allen Robinson would look great across from Taylor McLaurin. Kenny Galladay would look great across from Terry McLaurin. And then you got a guy that's not going to make a ton of mistakes, understands that, look, you have that defensive front. You can punt and it's a victory because your defensive front is going to get after them on the next series. And so – I think if Jones sort of falls into that range, it might be a good thing for him. The other thing to remember when that ceiling versus floor discussion comes up, the people that ultimately make these decisions have bills to pay, have mortgages, have kids to send to school. They don't want to get fired. Or if they do get fired, they want to get another job. And if you draft, if you have a quarterback to choice to make, I'd say pick eight, pick nine of this draft in the NFL, and you're deciding between Trey Lance and Mac Jones, and you pick one guy and he doesn't pan out, which one is going to get you fired and which one might get you fired, but at least a second job? Probably would you draft the guy that went to Alabama that almost won the Heisman, that won a national championship out of the SEC. Like it, it, it's, it seems the safer pick, even though these guys started basically the same amount of games. And so that is something to keep in mind. I always try to remind people, these are risk-averse people making decisions in the hopes of saving their job someday. So full disclosure, I'm an Alabama fan. So there, I'll, I'll, I'll admit my homerism. But I've got to say also that when I'm looking at Tua versus Mac, I think Mac may be a better thrower of the ball. Uh, I, I find I don't think that's too far of a stretch. And if you ask Devonta Smith, 
he probably agrees with that take. So you, we've got a guy that two of that everyone was high on, and you've got a wide receiver at Alabama that's kind of played with both of them who could have gone number three overall. Let's be honest. Now he's probably not going three to Miami after those latest comments. But he still might. Um, you know, the interesting discussion for me, and earlier today I was watching some Mac Jones cut-ups of him getting pressure um, because I'm – like I said, I'm going back through all these guys again. I have a, a good buddy who's a who, who's an Alabama guy, and he keeps telling me he's in my DMs all the time. Why did Burrow go one and Jones might fall to 19? You know, because I watched both of these guys. I was at that 2019 game last year. You know, I was at their game this year. I've seen both of these guys play. I liked Joe Burrow, but they both had a ton of talent around them. They're both not super athletic. They both put up great numbers. One won the Heisman. One came in third or whatever. Why is one going first overall and the other guy's going to slide to 19? And he's got an argument there. He's got an argument there. Um, you know, I, I think what hurts Jones in this draft class is the fact Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, Lance, like dynamic prospects at the position. I think if it were just, say, Lance and Wilson and Jones, there might be more of a discussion that maybe Mac Jones is QB1. And as I'm saying this, look, you've got people out there that are still saying some NFL teams have Jones QB1. Um, you know, he's rising up boards for a reason. He was the best quarterback down at the senior bowl. I mean, and NFL teams might really like him. And his floor in this draft might really be seven or eight, as we've seen in recent mocks from Mel Kuyper and others. And so, you know, he's a good thrower. He moves better than people give him credit for. And NFL teams, I think, are going to like this kid. I think what teams are uh, really starting to see when they look at this whole thing is he's got that Tom Brady rookie bod going for him right now. Oh, yeah. He's got and, the dad bod. Which, which oh, he's got the dad bod already. Lot. You can't hate it. No. And the last time we've seen a quarterback coming with that dad bod, his career turned out pretty good. Let's be honest. It turned out fantastic. So, I mean, yeah. So, you heard it here, Matt. Matt's making the comp to Tom Brady. So, there you go. Yeah, not, not only is Mac Jones a surefire Hall of Famer, you can put him down for eight Super Bowls, too, while yeah. we're at it. So I might have to go back and edit that out. Uh, now we're going to start to transition. We still got a little bit of football here. Still kind of go on here. Uh, you've done your due diligence on the quarterbacks. I know you've done your due diligence on scrubs. Now let's make a comparison. If Trevor Lawrence was on scrubs, which character would he be? I mean, I, that's that's a real tough one. Um, the two, I, I would say Dr. Cox. Um, Dr. Cox is one of the better, or not one of maybe the best uh, TV character of all time, I think. Um, now, now that's a lofty praise. Um, but he was really sort of that glue that really sort of drove that show. Um, whenever John C. McGinley was in a scene, he crushed it. Um, I've talked before on my show and other shows about uh, Fake Doctors, Real Friends, the podcast that Donofy's on. And Zach Braff, our host, and now it's a, it's a fantastic listen. What they're doing is they're going through and rewatching the show episode by episode, and they'll have guests on. They'll have some of their co-stars on. They have John C. McGinley on a lot. And it's fascinating to hear him talk about his process as an actor. Uh, he would have these composition books that he would, like, write out his lines. And a lot of time, Bill Lawrence, the showrunner, um, would give him these long soliloquies, and he'd add stuff to it, so he'd have to constantly rewrite it. Um but it's just fascinating to get into his mind when he when he comes on the podcast. And there's one episode where he talks about um, it, it's a famous episode. It's the one where Zach Braff turns to him and says, "You know where we are." Um, the episode where Ben dies. 
a fantastic episode, probably the best in the show's history. And John C. McGinley personally was going through a divorce at the time, and he felt like a failure as a father, as an actor, um, right when they were filming this one. And he talked about that he had this poem that sort of anchored him, and then he, he read it on the podcast. Um, just a guy that you know was put in the right environment and just crushed it. Um, and I, I think that's Trevor Lawrence. Hmm. So if Trevor Lawrence is Dr. Perry Cox, and we've got, we kind of got uh, Christopher there. We kind of got JD. Who, who do we kind of make those comps to? Because we've got to have those two in there. Yeah, I mean, you got to have those two in there. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go Zach Wilson with JD. Um, obviously, elite moments, um, which I think Zach Wilson has shown you some elite moments. Sometimes some uneven performances. Um, and I think Zach Braff, JD, um, some uneven performances. Obviously, JD's love life. Um, so we'll go Zach Wilson there. As far as Turk, um, Turk really sort of stole the show at times. And I think that's Trey Lance. I, I think Lance has that sort of ability to sort of, you know, come out of nowhere, um, really shine. And so we'll go Wilson as JD and, and Turk, Trey Lance. So who, who do we got as Justin Fields if we're casting scrubs here? <sighs> Justin Fields. I I think that's Elliot. I, I think that's Elliot. Um, obviously, Elliot um, had her own ups and downs. Um, a lot of people sort of questioned whether he, she could really be a doctor. And that's similar sort of some of the conversations about Justin Fields, the process and speed. Does he have it mentally? Um, you can see some sort of similar comparisons there. But, you know, in the end, somebody that I thought really sort of grew, much like the Justin Fields discussion we had. And so, yeah, Fields, Elliot. Is it, can I make the comparison for Mac Jones? Could he be the janitor when it's all Absolutely. said and done? I was Is that not like a perfect comparison? I think that's absolutely perfect, Matt. Yeah, I mean the janitor. The, there are so many like great like role players in that show. I mean the janitor, Doctor Kelso, uh, Nurse Carla. Um, Nurse Carla might have been, you know, another fantastic character on that show. Uh, but yeah, I like that the janitor and Mac Jones. I dig it. And who is the worst possible character on Scrubs all time? And why is that Kyle Trask? <laughs> worst possible character on scrubs of all i mean tara reed's character always drove me crazy um obviously there was a love interest there and you know if you want to say that tara reed's character is uh kyle trask i can roll with that that's cool um <laughs> other bad characters um yeah I'll, yeah you know i'll go with tara reed's character there all right, so we got the football talk out of the way. We're moving into the uh, kind of the rabbit hole of the show here. We're kicking it off. Uh, you're, you're a baseball closer. You're coming in the ninth inning. You're a WWE superstar. You're coming out to the ring. What's that pop music? What are you getting jacked for? What are they introducing Schofield for? What's that tune? Oh, man. Um, obviously, I'm known for Toto's Africa um, on Twitter. But I'm probably not coming out to that. That's not my walk-up music. That's not my closer entrance theme. Um, you know, you could ask me this seven days of a week. I'll give you seven different answers. But the song I've always, like, sort of used, in a sense, is Numb by Linkin Park. Um, I, I actually, I'm a huge – my musical tastes are all over the place. I mean, I will – you know, over the shoulder, you kind of can't see it. It's that angled book that Yoda's holding up. It's a kind of cool little bookend. Um, that's Rolling Stone's Pink Floyd, every song. Um, it's a fantastic book. My wife got it for me for my birthday. I've only started digging into it. I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan, but I'm also a country Western fan. I also obviously, the 80s music in Africa and Toto and stuff like that. U2, Van Halen, Aerosmith. Like my tastes are all over the place, but I'm a massive Linkin Park fan. 
a lot of my workout music is Lincoln Park heavy, and Numb was always my favorite song of theirs. So I'd say Numb by Lincoln Park. See, and I got in trouble from James Cohen. I asked him the same question. I'm like, you know what? I probably come up to a different theme song every time I came to the ring. He's like, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to have that one song that identifies you. I'm like, yeah, I mean, look, it's like, look, the broken glass, right? You know, you know who's coming up. Like, you know when the glass breaks. It's, that's, it's exa that's exactly yeah, what I he mean, said. Exactly. You know, when, it's, when you hear the first bit to Enter Sandman, Mariano Rivera is coming out of the bullpen. Like, Hell's Bells, oh, man, that's Trevor Hoffman. He's coming out to close it. So, yeah, I mean. You, and you, and you still remember that today. You still know that today, right? You, you still you know relate those closers to those songs. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, how did how did you get involved in fantasy football? Like, what, um, how did you get involved, and in, what did you do as a kid? Did you like? I know a lot of these guys have done it. We've seen some of the guests come on the show. They started in the eighties. They uh, Bob Harris started a one nine hundred or one eight hundred number with a fax machine. Like, how, how did you get involved, and what did you start? I really got involved in it. Like, I would play occasionally. Um, but I got sort of involved with the fantasy world more from guesting on shows like this. Um, I, I, I have a home league and I'll play sporadically in other leagues, but you know, it wasn't really something that I did a ton of, um, what really sort of piqued my interest was the knowledge that the fantasy football community has on a yearly basis. And I say this on my show all the time. Like I tell people, particularly in the off season, like, you know, you have to, even if you don't play fantasy and you're just like a fan of the game and you're a fan of like the New England Patriots, if you're not reading fantasy football articles or listening to fantasy football shows, you're missing out um, because the fantasy football community, the men and women in the fantasy football community do so much work in season, out of season, draft time, you know, whether they're chopping up press conferences like John, no Josh Norris, um, who I love. Um, over at Roto World now, NBC Sports Edge. He has that fantastic series after each draft and in the preseason where he'll like splice together all the press conferences because that will tell you, look, the draft is a perfect time to get an absolute window into how a team feels about their organization and each position group. And what they say in those press conferences matters. And so I keep telling people, look, if, if you're not playing fantasy football and you're just a fan of Team X – Follow what people in the fantasy community, the men and women in the fantasy community, are saying about the people on your team. That's how you know what's going to happen. That's how you know how these teams in the NFL feel about their rosters. Um, but in terms of like my involvement, it's been you know coming on shows like this to talk about quarterbacks, to talk about wide receivers, tight ends, or whatever. Um, you know, and I have such a soft spot for you know the men and women in this community. Um, the Scott Fishbowl, um, which I do every year. Um, this will be my, my sixth or seventh coming up. I've been in it for a while now, um, and I always do extremely poorly, um, but it's a blast. I love it. Um, you know, the, the SFB Potathon. I love coming on with Sal and those guys every week. I mean, every year um, when the draft gets going. I absolutely love the fantasy football community. Um, I, like I said, I play it. Um, it was never really something I was fully involved in. My involvement is more sort of from the guest and content side than anything else. Uh, do you have a, a, a Schofield and Sons fantasy football team? Have, they, have the boys gotten involved? No, no, not yet. Um, you know, it's funny you bring that up. My, my, my son is – he cracks me up, but, like, he's gotten into Madden. Like, that's been his big thing over the past, like, year or so. Um, I actually wrote last summer a piece we had uh, over at SB Nation. We had a video game week. Uh, back in like June, and I wrote a piece about how last holiday season 
my wife and I decided, look, we were going to get the kids their own Xbox controllers so they could play on my Xbox rather than, you know, you didn't have to get them a full system. They could just use mine. And I knew that that day was coming that he'd want to challenge me in Madden. And so, you know, October, November, I started playing Madden again. I hadn't played it in years, but I picked it up down in my office. I see this whiteboard over my shoulder. I was making notes of plays, of reads. I was running, you know, Cliff Kingsbury's Arizona Cardinals offense. I knew which checks to make. Like, I was like, look, this kid's going to beat me someday, but I'm not going to let it be the first week we play. I'm going to like own this kid for like the first couple of months Then eventually we'll figure it out and he'll destroy me and I'm fine with it, but I'm not letting him win out of the gate. And so I was ready. Um, we got him the controller Christmas day. He was excited. He was elated. And he started playing Madden and a couple of days after Christmas. I hear the steps coming upstairs from the basement. He's like, dad, you want to play? And I'm like, all right, here we go. And I'm like, ready. Right. I'm going to like destroy this kid. And we sit down and I'm like, he's like, you know, you know, um, you ready to go? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and he's like, okay, what team do you want to be? And I was like, okay, well, I'll be the Cardinals. What team do you want to be? He's like, I thought we'd be on the same team. And I was just like stunned. I was just like, st- I was not expecting that at all. Uh, but we played on the same team. Uh, we haven't played against each other ever. Um, and I, you know, you know, um, kind of a, a fun little moment. And so maybe I'll never have to beat him or maybe the first time we play, who actually will beat me. But as I wrote in that piece, the future of football is in such great hands because I'll watch him play every once in a while when he's just playing by himself, never punts, throws all the time, goes forward on every fourth down, goes for two all the time, onside kick, every single kickoff, like, the next generation of, of football coaches, man, they're just going to be insane to watch because they should be like, what's a punt? A punt? Field goal? What are those? We're going for it all the time. We'll throw it at 75 times a game. So the future of, fo- of football is in good hands. I'm, I'm kind of curious on the this will be hopefully the first and last combine we'll have or not have. Um, what do you think some of the uh, errors and some of the things that are going to come out of this without having that combine. I know like combine is sort of, it's, it's not going to test like the real skills of NFL players. It's more for a show, but what kind of errors do you feel is going to happen with, with this combine not being scheduled? Yeah, it, it's a fascinating question. Like I, I think, you know, a, a couple of things will evolve out of this draft cycle that might change how it's done. I think the thing that will be most missed for teams now is the medical side of it. Um, now they just talked about how, you know, they could do, they can have prospects come out for medical checks with these teams because, you know, when I flew out to Indy for last year's combine, I was flying out of Baltimore and I boarded the plane right behind the entire Ravens medical team, like all their doctors, like every team sends their entire medical staff out to Indianapolis and it's a centralized location to all these medical exams. And every year, you know, combine rechecks, right? Oh, so-and-so turned up with a a knee injury or, you know, a heart condition or, you know, some other, you know, even serious conditions that get discovered during the combine. You won't have that sort of centralized opportunity to put all these guys, you know, through that process. So I think the medical side of it will be something where things will pop up after the draft, during training camp, that might have slipped through the cracks. And so I think that's one side of it that will be obviously different. But I think the fascinating thing for me and in talking to some scouts, in talking to Dan Hatman about this, um, some other people that, you know, are in and around the league, with the number of, like, games that you can travel to being restricted, you know, it used to be 
LSU, Alabama, you've got all 32 teams there, right? Maybe seven or eight GMs are there. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've watched myself that 2019 Alabama LSU game, right? You had nine guys in the first round of last year's draft played in that game. So, you know, you, everybody was there. Now it's a lottery system. You can only go to so many games. And so more scouts are just home, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you're a regional scout for the New York Giants and you're covering the Southeast, you don't have to take the eight hours or so to get to Tuscaloosa. You can use that eight hours and watch eight hours of game film. And so I think what you're seeing is a lot of the scouts that I've talked to talking to Dan as well. The scouts love this because they're just grinding more film. And I know the word grind is like a naughty word after Monday's discussion on the timeline, but you know, they just have eight hours where they can just watch more players, eight hours where they're not traveling home. They can watch more players. And that process is even played out for me. Like I would go to games here and there and go to Maryland or Penn state to see players, but you know, if you sat up in the press box, you're not really getting a lot of work done. You right. can't really see everything. You can't like, oh wait, what happened there? You can't rewind the action on the field. Um, you get more work done. I've watched more tight ends over the past three days than I watched all of last year. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of scouts are more informed about the players on film um than they have been in years past because they've had more time to do it just from their offices. And so I think the tape evaluation part is going to be better this year than in years past, but the combine, you don't have the medicals, you won't have the standardized testing, the 40, the three cone, all that stuff. It won't be standardized. You'll be relying on pro day stuff where it's like, I could have run a four or five, apparently given some of the numbers we've seen and coming out of pro days in the past couple of days. So, you know, that part of it will be different, but I think the film evaluation part will be better as, as a pro as a result. Well, let's face it there. The pro, the, the combines always, it's more for the fans. You got the medicals. That's the important thing. I think Daniel Jeremiah basically hit the nail on the head there. I think I've seen him tweet out that with the way the college game's going and the way they are timing players with game speed, the 40 is pretty much irrelevant at this point where they can put, okay, this guy traveled at 23.8 kilometers per, or, sorry, miles per hour. Sorry, Canadian terminology. Right. <laughs> they, can, they can tell you how fast the guy's going. So you don't need to run a 40 when you know what the guy runs with pads on. Right. So I think that's one of those things that you mentioned. We're seeing that change maybe before COVID. This is probably more of an afterthought. But right now, the fantastic tool. The analytics community has got that right at their hands. They don't have to wait for some guy with a stopwatch or whatever that might be. Um, obviously, uh, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? <laughs> um, you know, my, my path to writing about football is obviously a little bit different than, than others. Um, I was a lawyer for 10 years. Um, I, you know, after college, I went to law school. Um, after law school, took and passed the bar exam. I was practicing law in the D.C. area for like 10 years. Um, and near the end of it, I was just absolutely, for lack of a better phrase, miserable. Um, you know, you'd see me on the streets of DC, leather briefcase, sunglasses, suit, walking into a DC high rise, um, seeming like, you know, no cares in the world. And I was just absolutely miserable. Um, and I, I've been brutally open and honest about my struggles with anxiety, depression, all of that stuff at that time. Um, there, there were days when I'd be at the Metro station in Bethesda, Maryland, um, ready to head downtown into DuPont circle. And I'd see, you know, next red line train, eight minutes. I'd be like, all right, well, when that's over, I'm going to throw myself in front of this train. I just can't do it anymore. I just I just cannot get on this train and go downtown. 
Um, I was therapy. I was medicated, self-medicated, like the whole nine yards, you know, bottle of wine a night here and there. Um, and eventually I just, I just got out. I just got, I said, you know, I couldn't do this anymore. Um, it happened to coincide with the fact that the work performance was struggling a bit. So negotiated a little severage package for myself and I had some time to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. Now, luckily, um, you know, and somewhat parallel to the discussions recently on Twitter, um, my wife, who I met in law school was a very, is a very good lawyer. Um, and you know, I was in a position where I could take some time and sort of sort things out. Um, and obviously, you know, we had done some things financially. So I was in, we were in a very good financial position where I could take time and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and eventually I just came to the realization that I did, I took a couple more interviews and I was like, I just don't want to be a lawyer anymore. It's just not for me. Um, so I started writing about football with some other people I knew. We started a website called inside the pylon and I wrote about it and I wasn't making money. Um, but again, I had, the safety net of my wife and everything we uh, we had done to that point where I could still take some time and pursue this. Um, and again, to sort of the unpaid intern discussion, I had that safety net. I was, I had that freedom where I could do that. Um, and ITP opened doors, opened doors to say Dan Hatman and, and Matt Waldman. And, stuff. and yeah. Um, we, we hit it like all the time. And I mean, even though you guys aren't too active, I mean, it's a great site. It's a wonderful Yeah, site. I mean, one of my biggest regrets in this entire journey of mine is that we couldn't turn ITP into something more. Um, but you look at people that passed through inside the pylon. Um, Ted Wynn, who's now at The Athletic. Uh, Brandon Thorne, who's doing work for The Athletic, and he's back at Bleacher Report now. Uh, John Ledyard, who's down at Pewter Report. Um you know, even a guy like Ethan Young, who did some work for us, he's now like Chip Kelly's right-hand man at UCLA. He's like their recruiting director. Sal Conti, who did some work for us, won a national title with Clemson, and now he's with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, you know, there's Deontay Lee, who's now a pro football focus. There, there's a great group of, of people that wrote about the game that have gone on to do better things, and I wish, you know, we could have found a way to, you know, get everybody compensated. But I knew that, you know, these guys were also talented that – Somebody was going to pay him, um, you know, but, but ITP that opened doors for me. And, you know, I'm now in a position where I'm making a, I'm making a living wage. I'm make doing this full time and I'm getting paid for it. Um, and I'm one of the lucky ones. And Arif Hassan brought up a, a fantastic point during that whole discussion, you know, that there are people whose, you know, dreams, they couldn't realize it because they couldn't, you know, keep doing it while not getting paid. Um, I'm incredibly lucky um, with my wife and the situation in my circumstance where I could go two years without getting any money uh, before starting to make a, make some money doing this. And now at a point where I'm doing it, you know, it's, it works for us. It works for me. Um, I don't have to, you know, have a day job or anything like that. This is what I do. Um, but yeah, my journey's different. So to answer the question, Matt, I guess if I wasn't doing this, I'd be a lawyer. Um, but as I've been brutally honest, I don't know how much time I'd have. You know, I've been clear about it that the build, the ability to sort of make that career change when I did. I mean, I was in my late thirties when I did it. Um, probably, if not fully saved my life, probably extended my life expectancy um, because I was headed down a road that might not have ended well. Um, but now I'm a better husband, father, son, um, friend. 
Um, I'm just, I'm miles removed from the person I was back then. And I'm a much happier person for it, which is why, you know, if you see me on Twitter, I always, you know, sometimes I brood, sometimes I'm angsty because, you know, hi, we're living in the midst of a pandemic and stuff. Um, but at the same time, I much prefer doing this than what I was doing six years ago. I have to tell you that one of the things that I respect out of you, um, not only, you know, of course, the scouting uh, in the articles and stuff like that, but the fact that you, and this was, I think sometime last year, um, but you were with Matt Waldman and you guys were doing your show and you said, Hey, if you need someone to talk to, I'm here. And and you meant it. And it, um, it's, it's really awesome to see people who, but not only just say it, but mean it. And so I just wanted to say thank you for um, being, being out with that and, and doing that. That's That not only takes courage, but um, courage I respect. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. And I do mean that. And I, I do have some DMs of, of people that have DM me that I haven't got back to yet. I, I, I will. My DMs are always open. Um, you know, because the, the way I view the game of football – um, football put me on a path to law school, to where I met my wife, to the two children we have, and to the life that I have. Football gave me so much originally because, let's face it, like I got into a college that I probably wouldn't have gotten into if I didn't have the ability to throw a football back when I could still throw a football. I mean, I played quarterback all the way through college. Um, and now in my sort of second act, football has given me more. Um, so I need to try to do what I can to give back to the people that have put me in this position, right? Like. If people didn't like the work, if people didn't like the shows, the podcasts, whatever, I wouldn't be able to do this. And, you know, it's and I also am very cognizant of the fact that, like, as I've said before, in other environments like you get one crack at life. Like, that's it. It's like I wrote a book years ago called 17 Drives, where I broke down one drive from each week of a college football season. And I analogized life to that. You get like one drive, you get one life, you get one crack at this thing. And there's no sense living through it miserable. There's no sense being as unhappy as I was for so many years, trying so many different things. And if I could sort of be there for people, um, whether you just to bounce ideas off of, to yell at, to scream at, to vent, whatever, I truly mean it. Like I'm, I'm here. Um, and because so many people helped me along my journey that I can only give that back as much as I can, uh, to the next group of people. Um, because life is hard. You know, life is not easy. And, you know, as as much as I might have seemed like I had it together back then, I certainly didn't. Um, and there's no weakness. There's no shame in asking for help. Um, and I know it's hard. And I know one of the easiest things that somebody like me can do is say things like, if you need help, reach out. Um, you know, and I know if you're somebody that's like struggling, and you're hearing this, and you're like, well, you know, I'm I'm not going to reach out to you. You you can't. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I've also learned along the way is when you know that there are people around you that are struggling, it sometimes makes it's even better if you reach out first. You sure. know? If, if you've got friends in your life, loved ones in your life that you know are struggling and you have the opportunity to reach out, like do that. Like don't just wait. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't, you know, go over well right away. Um, but sometimes it's hard for people to reach out. And so reaching out first might might be beneficial for them. But, you know, life is hard. Um, we've all been through a year and who knows how much longer of what we're all living through. Um, so it hasn't been easy. Um, but if, you know, you're listening to this and you're like, you know, man, maybe, you know, 
and you want some somebody to talk to, I'm here. And I, I will be brutally honest. I mean, look, I'm telling you guys all the stuff that I've gone through. I'm in my hiding, Nathan. I mean, I was at a dark place and I've come back from it. Um, I've been there. I've lived it. And I don't want people to live that way. Mm-hmm. Very true. So you kind of touched on a lot of deep things there that I think are fantastic. I think it's a message that needs to be heard there. But you don't get to where you are without support systems in place, uh, without good people around you. Now, it's easy saying the wife in this next question is probably the easy way out of here, but uh, who are some of those individuals that you respect that have helped you along the way to get to where you are? Because I know you mentioned inside the pylon and you've been around this uh, business for a long time now. Um, And who are some of these people? Like fantasy football, the one thing I've noticed about more than anything is you can take a total stranger that you talk football with and within a few weeks, you may be asking for some personal advice on the side. Like you said, me and you, we might strike up a conversation about quarterbacks, and then in a couple of weeks, it'll be like, hey, Mark, I heard you talk about uh, your anxiety. I'm going through some things right now. So who are some of the people that you turn to for advice, whether it be on Twitter or your personal life, and who are some of those guys who have helped you, guys and gals, who have helped you along the way? Yeah, I mean, obviously, look, the, the wife is an easy answer, and I've talked about that. Um, my experience with with the football community is, is a good lesson in – the idea that the worst they can say is no. And years ago, I was a huge fan of Matt Waltman's. Um, loved his work. I uh, think he's a brilliant football mind. And he used to have his RSP writers project each summer. We would have writers come on and answer a question, you know, your team to save the planet or whatever, write about some philosophical football kind of thing. And I saw that he was putting together that a couple of years ago. Um, and it, the subject line was like the, the team to save the planet, like a, a space jam type of scenario, like what 11 offensive players, 11 defensive players would you pick? And I saw at the bottom of that, like, if you'd like to be in a future one, like send in some work or reach out. And so I did, I did, I, I sent him something. I said, look, this is a cool project. Um, I have just started writing about football. Here's, here's a selection. And, you know, within 10 minutes matt wrote back and at the end of it i'm like you know you said this is for next year and if i could be considered for next year like that'd be fantastic and i didn't expect to hear from him. 10 minutes later matt wrote back to me he's like do you want to be in this year's do you want to be in it now i was like absolutely um he didn't have to do that but he you know took a liking to my work and then we started to get to know each other and then he was like do you want to come on and do a do a show together the rsp film room um, and I was like, sure, that, that, that'd be fantastic. He's like, okay, give me a player you want to watch. And so I gave him the name of a player. And um, I mean, I remember we did it at 10 p.m. on a Friday night in August. And I was, I I will, I did a shot of vodka like 10 minutes before the show. I was that nervous. I was like, this is my big shot. This is it. Like, it's going to be a live show. If I screw this up, like I had studied this player, the game we were going to watch over, I had like copious pages of notes. Um, I was so nervous. And we started Carson Wentz the Friday night before his senior year kicked off that Saturday uh, against Montana on a nationally televised game. Um, but Matt and I held it off. And, you know, he has been a rock um, for me, uh, both personally and professionally for years now. Um, obviously, the people at Inside the Pylon, um, you know, David Archibald, Chuck Zotta, Phil Kibbe, Dave McCullough. Like, there were so many people back there um, that helped me get to where I am, that helped start that site. Another has been Doug Farrar, 
Um, we were part of the NFL 1000 Project Bleacher Report that had some tremendous talent to it. Charles McDonald was over there. Uh, Derek Clawson, Justice Mosqueda, uh, Brandon Thorne, Duke Mandyweather. Um, we had some great football writers there. You know, like this was like three years ago. Uh, but now Doug and I are together back at Bleacher Report. Um, I'm not uh, from Bleacher Report now at USA Today together. Um, and, and, and those two guys and, and Dan Hatman have, have really, you know, I'm, I don't, I they've put food on my table. You know, they put money in my pocket. Um, but the lessons that I take from those are lessons that I think everybody and, and people when they, when people reach out to me for advice, like how do I get ahead of this industry? That's one of the things I tell them. I said, like, don't be afraid to ask. Like, people want to help. And you see it, you know, I see it a lot of the, you know, the football media side. It's even more so on the fantasy side. Like, I, I follow so many fantasy football people on Twitter, and the men and women in that realm, in that space, are so supportive of each other. Yes, there are fights and there are arguments and there are beefs and, you know, it, it comes up. But by and large, the men and women in fantasy football, like, really want to help you. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I'd love to write about football for a living, just ask somebody. Like, slide into my DMs. How do I get ahead? I might have some bad advice for you. I mean, I might say, look, it's going to be a grind. Like, <laughs> it's it's not easy to break into this space where there are so – imposter syndrome is real. You know, I can't tell you guys how many times I read something from a friend of mine, whether it's like a, a Seth Galita or Deontay Lee or Nate Tice or a Benjamin Solak. And I'm like, I can't compete. These guys are so smart. Like the men and women that do this are so smart. How can, like, if you do good work, it will be recognized. Um, it, it might be a hard road. Um, it might be a lot of sleepless nights. There might be a lot of nights. And I've had them where I'm just like, I, I'm not good enough. Um, but ask people for help. People want to help you. People would love to give you a helping hand. Um, sometimes it might just be as simple as promoting your work every so often. And I'm going to probably be doing this in the next couple of weeks. Um, I just put out the clear and call like, Hey, if you want somebody to read something, edit something, promote something, send it my way. I've like edited a ton of things for people like sight unseen, like no credit, nothing. Like I don't want it. Just give some feedback on something. Um, you know, because sometimes you need to get that, you know, we live in a time where if you've got a website, you're not getting stuff edited before it gets published. Like you're writing it, edit it yourself. Sometimes you need a voice to give you some feedback and I can do that. And I'm willing to do that at any time. And so, yeah, ask people for help. That's sort of my biggest message there. Um, I get help along the way. Other people before me get help. And there are a lot of people that got to where they are because of help. And they're willing now to look back and say, Hey, next generation, come on, you know, let's go. Uh, I love that. I think if we wrap this up, the one piece of advice you have for anyone watching is, Go get help. Reach out. There's going to be someone there. So I, I wish we would have planned this show for next week. But do you remember March? Oh, let's call it March 9th, 2018. I don't. So you just mentioned that you've kind of, you're about to throw out your almost annual. Send me something. I'll look it over. Yada, yada, yada. So for the viewers right now, Mike, this is this could be kind of fun. March 9th, 2018. You sent a very similar tweet out there. And I sent you in your DMs, uh, hey, Mark, can you head over to DynastyVipers.com and give me an honest opinion of what we have going on there? And you went over there. You gave an honest opinion. We talked back and forth. That was our first interaction. I reached out to you to go check out the website. 
you did so. And the first the first football player's name that came out there is wildly old, I believe it's Texas Tech vet, Nick Shamanic. I misspelled Nick wrong, and you pointed that out right off the get-go. Wow. So it's funny. So if you head over to the DynastyVipers.com, it, it's been revamped and changed since back in those early days. But I thought it was kind of funny that you were kind of mentioning reaching out Talk about putting this post out here in the next couple of days because in one week, it'll be the three-year anniversary of when I reached out to you for our website. Wow. I'm glad you brought that up. I I, I had honestly forgotten that, Matt. Um, but I'm glad you reached out. Um, you know, and, you know, it, 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 again, if people are listening to this, like, I'm, I'm here to help the best I can. And like, I know that there are DMS that I still have to respond to. Um, sometimes it might take me time. Don't be embarrassed. If you reach out to me and like a week goes by and I haven't gotten back to you and you're like, why is he out there? Like retweeting scrubs gifts and he hasn't gotten back to me. I, I might've missed it. Like I said, like I do mock draft Monday on my Patriots podcast every Monday. And I get so many mock drafts sent my way. I miss them all each week. Please don't be embarrassed. Don't be offended. I'm not looking at the fact that you drafted Mac Jones at 15 thinking I'm not going to read that on my show, particularly when I've just done it in my own mock. Like I've just, they've slipped through the crack. So again, like Matt did reach out. Um, if I don't respond right away, like nudge me. Um, don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. Um, as I said, the worst somebody can say is, is no. And you know, if I can help you in any way, I'm more than willing to try. So, Mark, what, what do you have um, planned for next month, this week? I, I know, I know, you're on USA Today and stuff. What, what, what do you have uh, now and in, in the future? Well, where um, can the people find you? You can find me on the Bird app at Mark Schofield, and I'm going to screw up the. Oh, I actually did it right. See, I always get the like mirror thing wrong. I actually, and you'll notice I kind of like brought it up slowly. I'm like, I think I'm doing it. Right. There you <laughs> go. Uh, I, I could not be a meteorologist. To the earlier question, what would I be doing if I wasn't doing this? Certainly not meteorology. Um, yeah. Um, on Twitter at the bird app at Mark Schofield, um, USA today's touchdown wire. We are going to be doing a ton of free agency stuff. Uh, Doug Farrar and I dropped our 101 free agency rankings like last week, film metrics, analytics. The piece was so long when we were writing it, I couldn't get it to load on my computer. Like there was one day where like I was trying to get it to load in WordPress and I'm, Doug's like, well, why don't you give it a few minutes? I opened it up in the draft form in WordPress. I went outside to shovel for an hour. I came back <laughs> and it was still spinning. It's so all like, look, Doug, like, I just, I just can't do it. You're going to have to do all the, I wrote it in Google Docs and like paste it in there. So we've got that. We're going to be doing a ton of free agency stuff, but we're getting into the draft. Uh, we will start with our top 11 by position. I think March 27th or so is when I'll be dropping quarterbacks. I'm doing quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends, edges, linebackers, and safety. So Doug and I do it 11 at a time. I actually I got a bit of a, a brouhaha with my editors because I'm like, I can't limit it to 11 wide receivers, guys. I need at least 15. I yeah, especially this wide. year. It's like crazy. <laughs> guys, I love – and mainly because I'm not leaving Amari Rogers off the write-up. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I love that kid. I, Amon Ross St. Brown, um, yeah, exactly. Brown. Like, I, I just absolutely love this wide receiver class. So we'll have those by, uh, I think I'm doing 15 receivers. And I'm including Kyle Pitts as a receiver and a tight end because he can be both because he's fantastic. Oh, my God, I love that kid. Um, 
but yeah, we'll have all the draft stuff, top 50, you know, big boards, scheme fits, analysis, all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, on Twitter at Mark Schofield and you know, you'll get a lot of scrub stuff. You'll get a lot of Winnie the Pooh references. I even bought the masks with Winnie the Pooh because uh, I'm known for the Winnie the Pooh meme now too. Um, but yeah, you know, <laughs> you'll enjoy it. It's a fun little ride and reach out to the DMs if you ever need somebody to yell at you or something or not either way. I'm glad that makes complete sense. They're all the way across the board there. I love the little dial up there. A little bit of an old school reference there with the not loading where we know what that's like. We've all lived that. <laughs> Maybe not, not so much nowadays, but when we first started, we had a lot of that. Uh, you talk about this, this show you're doing, uh, your 11 top 11 players, in each position. Uh, I was just wondering, is there any free internships that I could sign up for? <laughs> um, yeah, too soon? Uh, no, it's not too soon. I mean, Oh my God. I, that was some day on Twitter. I mean, that was just one of those days on Twitter where it's just like, man, this is what we're going to talk. It got to the point and I was on Twitter before doing the whole football thing. So my follows are varied like and all over the, the media space, politics, entertainment, whatever. Um, when I see Dan rather tweeted about unpaid internships, I'm just like, man, this is really broken. Like the, the, like sports media barrier. Um, you know, if, if you're in a position where you're lucky enough to get an unpaid internship and you can make that work for you, then, then good. Um, but unfortunately we should realize that for many people that isn't an option. And as a result, um, people that might've been fantastic at something weren't able to do it. Um, and so that's why like, you know, if, I, I was joyed to see that some places are offering like uh, Blue Wire Podcasts, for example, a podcast network. They said they're going to have a paid internship um, this summer, which I think is, is is great. If if companies can do that, I think more companies should. Uh, there was a great clip that resurfaced recently. Um, John Stewart, when he was on the Daily Show, he was he did an episode of with Howard Stern like last year, and he talked about how they revamped their intern program to get more voices in, to get diversity in, which I, he said made the show better. And so if, if companies could do that, great. If you're in a, a position where you don't need a paid internship, you know, good for you. That's fantastic. Um, take advantage of it. Um, but yeah, um, what a day on Twitter, huh? <laughs> what a day on Twitter. Never a dull moment. Never. And with that, we're hitting that 75-minute mark. So uh, Mark, uh, thank you for joining us. Check him out on the uh, – the, the bird feed, so to speak, there yep. uh, at Mark Schofield. You can catch uh, Mike here uh, filling in for Calvin and Hobby at RFL Red Zone. And you can catch myself here at, at Matt Donnelly FF, checking out, do some things there. Bottom line is, don't be afraid to reach out. Shoot your shot. And when it's quiet, make sure you're loud and make some noise out there. And for that, we're wrapping up the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. Thank you for tuning in. And... Uh, we got a little special something coming here a little bit later this week, so you might want to tune in for that. I'm excited for this opportunity. Uh, it goes back to what Mark said, taking that shot, shooting that shot, and, and this time it hit the target, so hopefully I don't screw it up. So with that said, we'll see you guys later. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys.